Welcome to The Hidden Rainbow, the podcast that delves into the complexities of being South Asian and queer in America. I'm your host, T, and I'm joined by Ragini. In each episode, we will be exploring the unique experiences, struggles, and triumphs of South Asian Americans in the LGBTQ community. From grappling with cultural expectations and prejudices to navigating relationships with family and community, we will be getting candid with our guests about their journeys in coming out, finding community, and creating their own definitions of what it means to be South Asian and queer. So whether you're South Asian, LGBTQ+, an ally, or just curious, we invite you to join us on this journey of self-discovery and acceptance. Let's start the hidden rainbow together. All right, so... We are here with, do you want to go by a pseudonym or do you want to go by your real name? I will name? go by my full real name. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So this is Ragini. Hi, I'm Ragini. You can introduce yourself and like kind of explain how you identify. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah. so I'm Ragini and I'm a lesbian. I'm Thummel American and born and raised in Michigan and have been dating my girlfriend, Samantha, for two years and three months now. Awesome. Okay. So first question, do you want to talk a little bit briefly about how your coming out experience went and how you think it was different for you coming out as a woman of color? Yeah, so my coming out experience was twofold because I came out twice. I came out as bisexual once in 2015 and then I came out as a lesbian when I realized I was a lesbian in October of 2021. Coming out as a woman of color, as a bisexual woman of color was tough for a lot of reasons. I came out when I was like 15 years old and I remember first thing that I thought was that I thought I was going to be ostracized or that my friends weren't going to want to hang out with me anymore. Mm -hmm. Realizing that I was queer like as a woman of color frightened me to the extent of like I didn't know whether or not my parents were going to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. I think that Indian kids but also just like queer kids who have families that they're not 100% sure about how they're going to react. They just like kind of start asking about how they feel about gay stuff and how they feel about queer experiences. Be like, what would you do if I was gay? Yeah, just like, (laughs) I'm not, but like, just like in a... But what if? But what if? (laughs) Hypothetical. (laughs) So I did like a lot of that. I got like lots of mixed messages uh, from everyone in my family, which I think was fair because like at the time, like 2015, you got to remember was gay marriage wasn't legalized. Yeah. Like when I came out as bi, it would not have been legal for me to get married to a woman. So yeah, so I came out the first time and it was very like to my, my mom said she wasn't surprised. Because apparently I talked about gay stuff too much. My <laughs> sister thought I was gay. Everyone thought I was, and they, they kind of thought I was queer. And they were like, yeah, I feel like it's fine. But overall, the kind of vibe I got when I came out for the first time was like, it's okay, but it's never going to matter unless you get a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell my dad, actually, funnily enough, until six months before I, da- I dated Samantha. Okay. That I was so- bi. Oh, okay. Because remember, I still, I still yeah. identified as bisexual. And also, like, I came out as bi with a very, like, intense feeling of wanting to end up with a woman and like marry a woman but I had only ever had quote-unquote crushes on boys since Mm -hmm. I was like seven because that's definitely when you can start beginning to develop crushes I think that happens with a lot of brown kids specifically where I'm like it'll never be a problem so I'll never have to tell my parents about it yeah and it'll never be a problem because it'll only be a problem if I ever end up dating a girl Mm mm-hmm but then you don't realize that that kind of like subconsciously screws with you and you're much less likely to date a girl if you know that it comes with all the baggage of having to disrupt your life and come out as queer when you're in this community that pretends that queer people don't exist. Because to be quite honest, that's what they do. They pretend that queer people don't exist, which is hilarious considering the fact that they've always been in our culture as, you know. Hindus. But so, but the thing is, I had this very distinct moment that I remember when I was in my sophomore year of college and I was swiping on Tinder and I matched with this girl and I was going on a date with her. We went to Bertucci's. It was hilarious <laughs> because it was my first ever date, like ever, because mm-hmm. I didn't date in high school. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it was my first ever date, point blank, period. And we went to Bertucci's and we had a great time. And then I came home and I had an absolute panic attack. And I remember having this panic attack in some kind of a state where I was just like, oh my God, like what happens? Like what if it, she like, I really like her. What if she texts me back? Like I'm going to have to tell my like, family. I'm going to have to tell everyone. Like what if I end up with And I just had this massive panic attack and then I didn't date women for two years. <laughs> so like the fact that that can happen is just like whenever I hear, I hear like queer Indian women often or even just like people being like, it's not going to matter unless I get a girlfriend. I'm like, bestie, 
it matters. <laughs> like your queer identity is so much more than who you end up with and who you have sex with is, is what I'm like yeah. getting to, right? It's like a huge part of yourself. So then I came up, my second time was when I came out as a lesbian. That was in October of 2021. And that was like kind of easier, I guess, in certain ways. It was easier on my family because I was already dating a girl. You yeah. know, I came out as a lesbian, like post-dating a woman, yeah. like publicly. But I definitely noticed a massive difference in the way that people treated me in the workforce and men treated me when I was identifying as a lesbian versus when I was identifying as bisexual. And that was really like staggeringly different where it was like when I was identifying as bisexual and I was I, I was very out and open about being bisexual. I was very proud bisexual in college. So I would tell everyone like right when they met me and like it just like the way that like they heard the word lesbian and there was just like they stopped talking to me. They would walk away. That's really like, weird. Yeah, well, yeah. It, I mean, or they would just like completely ignore me. It was like I didn't exist anymore. Yeah. I, I, I would fully see men come up to me and talk to me and like flirt with me and talk to me about like projects during work and stuff. And the minute they found out that I was I was gay, like I was a lesbian, they were like out. They would just like not talk to me anymore. I feel like that just goes to show how it's so hard to be friends with men. I only have like <laughs> one like straight-ish friend like he's not super sure if he's even like he's into women Mm -hmm. and he's like I'm sure I'm not into men but he's not sure how he identifies like gender yeah but I he like he's the only man I can trust and it's just like so annoying yeah to meet men and then like becomes friends become friends with them and then they're like I just wanted to fuck you this whole time. Yeah. I wrote this poem a little while ago called Mm -hmm. White Man's Fuck Doll. It kind of talks about how as a culture, I think that we were raised in a certain time period that kind of primed us as like young brown women or young women of color to like set ourselves up to be like the perfect like bait Mm -hmm. for white men because... I think that it's also one of the reasons why compet compulsive heterosexuality. I think it really fucks with a lot of brown women in particular. And I think that's why so many brown women specifically don't know that they're lesbians um, and not actually bi or whatever compulsive heterosexuality has such a grip on um, me and like a couple of my friends that I know who are Indian lesbians because of the fact that like there comes so much status and like pride from being able to pull a white boy as a brown girl. Really? Yeah. I've been, I'm dating a, br- a white guy right now, and I've been told, like, you just got colonized again. Like. See, like, that's now. I'm talking about when we were young. Okay. Yeah, right. that's that's fair. <laughs> As of now, you, I'm dating a white person, and it's boring. But yes, um, but I'm, like, I'm talking about when we were, like, I was, like, 9, 10, 11 years old, you know, mm-hmm. going into puberty, going okay. into the yeah, like, middle school stage. Mean. Yeah, I remember And, like, this. raised in this time when that was, like, before, that was in, like, Baljeet was still in Phineas and Ferb, and, yeah. like, this wasn't... We didn't, we didn't have uh, Kamala Khan, you know? Like, we didn't have any of these cool, normal Indian people on TV telling yeah. us that we could date and not be the, like, side character, Yeah, you know? So that was kind of such this massive thing of status, I remember, growing up for me in my community, especially because I grew up, like, in suburban Michigan here mm-hmm. where um, yeah. everyone is just either white or Asian. <laughs> and so, like, being able to, like, pull a white guy was a big thing. And so for the longest time, I conflated attraction to with like excitement for someone being attracted to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of primed me to put myself in a place where I was trying so hard to do, go against these boundaries of what people thought about girls because I was like, no, I'm loud. I'm not quiet and demure. I'm like, I'm proud of my sexuality because I'm like, I'm a really sexually expressive person. I yeah. believe in like safe sex and being sex positive and like talking about safe sex in schools. When I was at 15, I wrote my uh, persuasive essay on comprehensive sex education. I never shy away from how I think kink helps trauma. I talk about like sexuality, including sex as well, a lot. And it's really <laughs> important to me and I always have. So I've always been a very like a person who doesn't shy away from sexuality, which like, again, when it comes to Indian culture, like they don't like that I still think sexuality is super cool in like an academic way but like now I'm in a in a relationship in a committed relationship I just I realized how much of it was me being like but I'm different like mm-hmm. I'm not like those other quiet Indian girls like yeah. I'm the one who I can be like I'm fun and bisexual like I'm <laughs> spicy like and I didn't realize how much of that was me pulling into because the amount of like not very fun kind of coerced like experiences I had in college as a bisexual woman mm-hmm. because like I maybe not on purpose, but like leaned into that, like, I'm different. I'm fun. Like, I'm this spicy bisexual Indian queer girl who does theater. (laughs) Like, I didn't, it wasn't that I was a pick me girl because I didn't really 
talk to many men because yeah. again lesbian but it was very similar to this like feeling of me being like you're trying to prove yourself all the time yeah yeah exactly yeah I get that I totally get that as an Indian girl especially of like like even like you get darker in the summer and you're just like now I'm fucking ugly because <laughs> everyone around me is telling me that I'm darker and that means that I'm ugly and then in the winter when I look like a freaking vampire <laughs> because I'm translucent. And they're like, then you're beautiful. Yeah, like, then okay. they're like, oh my god, your skin looks so good. I'm like, my skin is flaking. It's <laughs> falling off. My goodness gracious. Yeah, but exactly. It's very much that. It's the yeah. like, it's more about you trying to prove yourself. Yeah. And I think that that, time, like, that kind of proving yourself, that need to prove and yourself brown for brown women. And brown men also don't help the situation. Oh, absolutely Because not. they all, like, I was straight up told by a brown man when I was like 14, 13, in a very key developmental stage of my life, he straight up said to my face, looked me in the eye, he was like, you're fucking ugly. And I was like, damn. <laughs> and then when I was like, why would you say that? He was like, well, it's true. Like, why would I take it back? I just, <laughs> they have so much audacity. And for nothing. You're still a mama's boy at this age. And yeah. why do you suck? Like, what? Because the thing is, they think that they have such an ownership over every brown woman in the world. I've posted TikToks where the comments are all brown men telling me they know more about my sexuality than I do. They're like random Indian guys just like being dicks to me for no fucking reason. And like, it's literally me being like, this is how hot I look now as a lesbian versus how I looked when I like thought I was straight. And it's a really cute like little transition video. Yeah. And all the comments are just random Indian men being like, come back, you, there's no such thing as lesbian. Bye for sure, maybe, but no, you just can't keep a man interested. And it's all brown men. Yeah, because it's literally horrifying. And Samantha, like, you should have seen. She's in my comments, like, fighting for you me. You know what? So I remember cute. that Samantha posted a TikTok of you one time. And it was just, like, this cute little, like, you guys were sitting on the balcony. I remember looking at the comments. Oh, yeah. And all of the comments were like, hey. They were like. <laughs> <laughs> no, go for it. I want to. I want to. No, you they were like, oh, my God. Can I date your girlfriend? Like, your girlfriend <laughs> is so hot. I was like, get it. This is so never sweet. heard People talk about, like, a brown queer woman like I, that. I, you know, to be quite honest, they didn't about me. Ever, yeah. Until I went to Los Angeles and I filmed that one TikTok that got went viral. Guess the token straight went viral. And all the comments were like, Rogany is like, and I'm just like, what the <laughs> Who's fuck? Like, nobody's ever talked about me. No one's ever talked about me like this before. And suddenly, yeah. and I think that's another reason why I'm so passionate about being like, I'm a lesbian. Because... When, and it was all lesbians and, and bisexual women and, and queer women and the WLWs and like all the people who I'm interested in, right? Yeah. Telling me that they were obsessed with me. And like, I felt so loved in a way that I've never, ever felt. Yeah. And, and that's when I'm just like, I have so much love for the queer community because they see beauty in us when the world doesn't. Yeah. But yeah, these comments are okay. horrendous. They're heinous. Like... You Muslim just asking? I don't even understand. Oh, yeah. They always ask that. Please come back. And that's another thing I've noticed. Like, again, I'm not a Muslim person. I am Hindu. But uh, some of my queer friends who are Muslim, like, it's another thing. Like, Muslim men feel like they have the authority to comment on queer Muslim women or Muslim people who are raised as women, their videos, and be like, no, I get to tell you about it because I, you're yeah. mine. Like, the brown men feel like an ownership over brown women. Some of these comments are, there is no such thing as a lesbian. She just can't keep a man interested. Right? Um, <laughs> Isn't that so insane that someone... some and His profile picture is hilarious because he's not cute. But, like, someone typed that on a video. You know who he looks like? <laughs> Avanish. Yeah! <laughs> the goat. Oh, I hate that guy. Oh, my God. He's so ugg. I mean, anytime I talk about being a queer desi, I get a lot of brown men in my comments angry at me for being gay. Or telling me that I'm not gay. I just wonder how that is all, like, how that affects queer brown men, too. It's the combination of being that, like, that that horrifying, like, privilege that you get sometimes of being, like, the oldest brown son in the family who's, like, doted on by your mother yeah. and everything. Like, oh, you're, you're such a sweet, like, <laughs> sweet chintu. Like, you would never do anything wrong, right? The one thing you can do wrong is be gay. Yeah. And that fucks, I think, fucks with like queer brown men so much mm -hmm. and the ones that are able to like process it realize their queerness and like come and break out of it get to heal and like are, end up being beautiful people and i'm friends with some of them but then i feel like there's the ones that don't deal with it that like break it down and, and end up you know lashing out like this yeah do you want to explain how about we talk about first like what do you think about racism within the queer community right. because i think that a lot of 
queer people, especially people who are white queer people, think that, like, I'm a minority. So I can't, there's no way I can offend people because, like, I have minority status. And it's like, no, you can still be an (laughs) asshole. Like, (laughs) yeah, have you seen that clip of that? Like, there is a reality TV show clip of this, like, Asian woman who is interviewing this, like, this this blonde gay man who's just like I don't think you'd understand that because you're not a minority and she goes I'm not a minority I'm literally a like yeah. and he's just staring at her like this because I genuinely think that sometimes white gays have no concept <laughs> of the fact that their whiteness brings them so Most much power privilege. and privilege white people like to do this thing where they like to victimize themselves Samantha and I talk about this a lot because like they're there's just like they, they love label catching sometimes mm-hmm. they're just like I have this and I have that and I'm this person and that's why I'm oppressed and I'm a good like mishmash of minority groups so you can't be mean to me <laughs> whereas I'm like listen like I fit so many minority I'm like the worst three minorities you could be yeah, together I'm like yeah I'm like I'm literally and and there's like people who have even like so many different intersections that are like yeah. far worse than mine and with class and all these things but like I still see I recognize my own privilege yeah and where it comes from yeah and if I can do that <laughs> and say maybe as a person who comes from a middle upper middle class to middle class family you know in like a stable two-parent home you know, uh, maybe maybe I don't have the right viewpoint to talk on this. Yeah. And the fact is, is that I think that a lot of us are used to not being able to stand up for ourselves when we're getting hurt. That's a huge issue, I think, in the South Asian community specifically. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, it's hard because you feel like you're hurt by your own community when you're South Asian. And then you you go to the, like, queer community. And if it's the, the white people, are then they would hurt you, too. Yeah. If they're, like, either hurting you on purpose by actively being racist which Mm -hmm. has happened to me i have had quite a few queer people be actively racist yeah and or it happens through them like fundamentally misunderstanding or refusing to recognize their privilege which ends up causing more harm and i think that a lot of them like recognize their white privilege in a way of like I'm white and I have privilege, but then they don't recognize that they also have white privilege within the queer community. I yeah. think they separate it and it's not like... Yeah, they're like, if we're all queer, we're all queer. It's yeah. Like, no, there's... no, we're not. No, <laughs> there's exactly. layers I actually it. really identify with this because my friend had a very interesting discussion about this because I was in an all-female acapella group, right? Yeah. And so I talk to her a lot about uh, being in that group and she's just like, wow, I cannot imagine. Like, I, whenever I'm in acapella and, like, it's all women, like, I fe- finally feel like I can like take a deep breath and I can finally be like okay I'm safe I'm with all women but like I can't imagine that you don't feel like that because you're the only like I was one of like two or three women of color in that acapella mm-hmm. group at the time and she's like because you don't feel like that because you don't feel completely at ease because it's still the other yeah and I'm like yeah <laughs> and it was like I never fully completely re- relax and I'm sure that you get this as someone who's also in an interracial relationship like those conversations and where your like past trauma interacts with your present and like teaching your partner about white supremacy and like your own culture is is such a humbling experience first of all (laughs) but also just like it's helping me like become a little more comfortable like even though like I've I've never been able to fully completely relax around a white person Mm -hmm. I can do it around my girlfriend you know because there's this level of like we've worked so hard on it yeah but what I don't think is necessarily understood by a lot of people in, like, the queer community is that that's a lot of work. Like, you've yeah. got to do that work. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not actually helping yeah. as much as And this is a question I wanted to ask Samantha, too, is, like, how she combats, like, recognizing that there's racism and also being in an interracial relationship as a queer woman and, like, helping you through that. We're dealing with some cultural differences that mm-hmm. are causing a lot of emotional kind of issues Mm -hmm. so like it's been rough to say the least (laughs) like the fact that like it's just a different situation like she grew up like she grew up as a sixth generation Californian from Los Angeles Mm. her aunt Misty is a butch lesbian who just got married to her longtime girlfriend Mm -hmm. like her uncle's gay like it's not that she had everyone in her family be gay but like it, growing up, fine. it was a comfortable topic. It was, like, it's something that happened. Yeah. And, like, was okay. It's just, oh, you're the gay one. Like, maybe it's a little bit of a disappointment in the 80s. Like, ah, I can't have biological children. But yeah. other than that, like, grandchildren, they don't care. Yeah. Um, And Samantha, like, grew up with that. And mm-hmm. then to come and be, like, 
she's always been everyone's favorite girlfriend to take home to the parents. I mean, she went to school in England and was performing at the, the Prague Shakespeare Company and is very smart, a very talented content creator, has a lot of followers, makes beautiful art, is a phenomenal actress, right? And so she's always been this like perfect girlfriend to take home. She's like, I'm the least scary lesbian you can bring <laughs> home to your family, right? Yeah. But for brown parents, any lesbian is a scary <laughs> lesbian. Woo! <laughs> and in fact, the fact that she was a lesbian who was in the arts and mm -hmm. was an actor terrified them. <laughs> because that, I think, is more scary to them than the fact that she's even a girl. <laughs> I think that they would be okay if she was a girl, if she was a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Yeah. But the fact that she's an actor freaks yeah. them the fuck out. Even though that's all anyone in her family has ever done or wanted her to do because they are sixth generation California Los Angeles <laughs> people. Like they've been working in the industry. Her dad's a producer, her mom was a producer. Like that's what they do. Yeah. And so she was like, I'm living a very practical life and your parents think that I'm kind of like doing crazy things. <laughs> but like, I'm just following what my parents told me to do. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. Which is like, follow my heart and follow my dreams and like pursue my happiness. And my parents are like, Rogan, you're going crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just falling in love with someone who is, I, I have fallen in love with someone yeah. who, who loves me for me and like, and she has and passion and has passion and is good at them yeah so the thing is is that my parents are like i don't know about that i'm like you know how many followers she has that 450k is not a like normal chill number like <laughs> yeah. people know who she is i'm not saying she's famous but she's successful yeah you know we don't and that's the thing she doesn't want to be famous she just wants to be successful she just mm -hmm. wants to make enough money so that we can live and she just happens to like posting content she's disabled as well so she talks about being a disability advocate which again <sighs> We all know India doesn't have a great history with treating its disabled citizens. Yeah. And there's a lot of ableism in Indian culture, which is pretty shitty. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like, uh, unfortunately, I think that that also permeates sometimes with our relationship because Samantha is, like, physically disabled, but also she's autistic and I have ADHD, right? So there's a big thing where it's just, like, you know, mental health and mental illness is not something we talk about. But the thing is, is that, like, so many people don't talk about it mm -hmm. and like the struggles that come from being like neurodiverse Indian person just like as much they don't talk about the struggles of being a queer Indian person just like they don't talk because the whole thing is when it comes to us Indian moms and our Indian dads they like to have their evidence yeah this kid doesn't do like this so why do you do like this yeah well this kid did the same situation yeah, but, that not like that. but that kid's not like this but I went through the same thing and I never felt like this so clearly you're crazy <laughs> Ignoring the fact that, like, different people have different effing and experiences. And also, like, all these other kids probably sell drugs and do drugs. And yes, or they, they don't tell you about it. Because, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the thing is, it's like, my mom, it's not even her fault. I feel bad because I think that, I mean, our parents have been through a lot of trauma themselves. Yeah. And, yes, do they hurt us by not acknowledging that they've been through trauma and pretending that their childhoods in India where they barely knew that they were going to have enough to eat was uh, not traumatic for them. And they just mm -hmm. pretend like everything was great. <laughs> it was totally fine and normal. And it's like... Okay, but speaking of that, like, it's this, like, it just this unwillingness to talk about anything, quote-unquote taboo. Like, you pretend like it doesn't exist. You never talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that people don't realize how dangerous silence is. Silence kills. And my mom often says, why do you want everyone to know that you're a lesbian? Like, why does everyone need to know you have a girlfriend? Why yeah. is it so important to you? Because, like, per speaking from personal experience, I saw your post, and then I was like... Oh my god, there's another one of me. Yeah! Like, thank god. That is the literal reason why I do what I do. The reason yeah. why, but like, the reason why I'm so passionate about being like, I am here, I am the same Rogany that you guys know and love, grew up in Troy, Michigan, I'm still all the same, like studying international relations, I still do theater, I still sing, I still write music, I'm still dramatic, and I've just been, and if anything, all of those show even more how queer I am as a person. <laughs> Let's be honest here. You guys all love me because of that little like spark of something that mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God, she has so much like confidence in herself and her energy and, you know, lack of impulse control because I was unmedicated with ADHD <laughs> for many years. But all of that, and I'm like, that's, that's my queerness. That's me being a lesbian. Like I'm a lesbian because I am queer. I'm queer because I am like perpendicular to society's expectations mm -hmm. of my, my life, my role, my gender, my expression, mm -hmm. and the way that I want to have relationships in this world and the love that I have for women and femininity, like, and just like this complete detachment that I have to the concept of men. And the, I like never was friends with boys. I never had male friends. And to this day, the only male friends I have are people who have fought very hard to be in my life. Because I just don't, after a while, I just stopped caring about having relationships with men. Because I was like, I'm not interested in you. I don't think like you. 
I don't want to, like, most of the time, like, you make me uncomfortable and I don't want to pretend that I like you if I don't. And so the only men, like, because of that, like, you know, lack of, like, I, I just didn't care anymore. <laughs> like, it was like a sieve and only the good ones come through. <laughs> so just, like, I'm building this life that I'm going to be so happy with. And it's definitely not going to be the same life that my mom would be happy with or even my sister would be happy with or my father would be happy with mm -hmm. because they're not me. Yeah. Okay, you keep talking about your sister. Was it, like, how was coming out to her? Was she, like, a supportive big sister about it? This is a confusing question because to answer the question honestly, yeah. okay. like, she was a supportive sister. If you're saying, hey, was she a supportive sister when I came out to her as queer? And meaning, like, she supported me being queer and was like, good, do whatever you want. I love you. We're going to have gay rights. <laughs> love that. I'm not a homophobe. Yeah. Yes, she did. Mm-hmm. But when it came to your parents... Well, not even that. She, she fights... My sister fights my parents all the time. Okay. She's fine with that. The interesting thing is, is that because she's my older sister, she kind of has this idea that I don't really know what I'm talking about ever. <laughs> because I'm young and dumb. Yeah. I'm 23 okay. and I have two degrees. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I have a Roth IRA. <laughs> you adult. know you've grown up like, and you have a Roth IRA. Literally, though. <laughs> Um, and like, but she still treats me like I'm a kid sometimes. So I think she didn't mean to come across as homophobic mm -hmm. or invalidating, but it was. Yeah. Because when I came out to her as a lesbian, I said, truthfully, I think I might be a lesbian. Mm -hmm. She was like, I don't think you are. Oh. She's like, absolutely fuck not. She's like, no, you've always been into men. You've always been interested in men. And like, that was just like me being like, what? <laughs> like, no, I promise It's you. that like, I know you better than you know yourself yeah. thing, which like frustrated me a lot because I was just like, you don't know more about me than I know about you. Yeah. I know it comes from a place of love and, like, you know, worry about me. Mm -hmm. So what advice can you give to other South Asian queers that struggle with, like, identity, racism within the community, like, struggling with the intersectionality between their culture and their sexuality and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is patience. It's not something that is, like, this quick and easy answer. It's not going to be, like... One day you're going to be out and your family's going to just be perfect and <laughs> everything's going to be fine and there's not going to be any nuance. There's all these different like nuanced struggles that it feels like sometimes you're going to feel like every time you like make a victory, you move two steps back mm -hmm. because you're like, I thought I thought we got past the homophobia, mom. Yeah. And she's like, it's not homophobia. And I'm like, OK, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you don't see that it's homophobia is frustrating. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes there are situations in which I'm just like, my parents are concerned about obviously like Samantha's income, I guess, because she's an actor, which mm -hmm. is fine. And, and mine, because like, and, but I don't think that necessarily that would be a problem if she was a man. Like they would definitely, they get yeah. concerned about m her ability to take care of me mm. a lot. Okay. And like, they're like, it's not homophobia. I'm like, but, but it it's is. misogynistic. It's lesbophobic yeah. specifically. <laughs> yeah. And like that, like in a, and I don't think that's just a problem for like brown kids. I think that's a problem for like, it's a lesbophobia problem yeah. where they think that, you know, how can two women possibly support each and take care of each other? Where I'm just like, I don't know if you know this, but mm. like Samantha has kind of been like the only human being who's ever been able to support me physically, emotionally, like mentally, spiritually. Monetary support is not the only thing yeah. that matters. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but it's true. And that's something that I think is hard for lots of Indian parents to accept in general. And I think that could be useful for queer South Asians because since we are already different, we tend to be more creative anyways. And we tend to be people who kind of want to make a difference and like help people because we've grown up with those struggles. And so we tend to choose jobs that are out of the typical, you know, like we're not going to, we anyways are not going to fit inside yeah. the line. So we're just like, why would I ruin half yeah. my life? when I'm all I'm already gay I'm already fucked you yeah. know People like I'm like, already what's black mental sheep? health why are you being a psychologist you're a real doctor goodness gracious <laughs> so this is the thing is that they care so much about status yeah. and appearances and how things appear to people and that is just fundamentally at the intersection of being queer because <clears throat> being queer is about being loud seen and not being ashamed for who you are as a person yeah whereas like and again, colonization, like Indian culture, I think the, the big part of the reason why it's not about like fighting back and we're not encouraged to fight back is like this combination of like British colonialism and then them coming over here in like the 80s and 90s and having to assimilate versus us being born here. And we're like, I don't want to assimilate. I want to thrive, you know, yeah. and then being like, we had to follow certain rules so we would be able to survive. So you're going to have to follow certain rules without them even realizing that the rules are fundamentally so different now than they have yeah. ever been before. Yeah. 
And I think my mom has also said before, like, I feel bad for you guys because you have had to deal with, like, racism. Like, Yes, my mom says that all the time. Like, we never had to deal with any of these problems. Yeah, I my it. childhood was absolutely pristine. She says that. Trauma. She says those exact words. She also says, oh, no, my childhood was completely pristine. There was no trauma. I only started pro- having problems after you kids started giving me anxiety. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you mean when, when we became independent adults <laughs> and had to make decisions that maybe you didn't agree with? Yeah. But I mean, like, both of our kids are really, really successful. See, that's the thing. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that that's ever going to make her anxiety about us go away. It's never going to be enough because they keep moving the goalposts. Yeah. And I realized I grew up and the only thing I cared about in life was getting into the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. That is what I dedicated myself to from the time I was 13 years old. Yeah. And then I did all of high school. I did every single decision I made was to like get a good SAT score. Get it because that's what I was told I was supposed to mm-hmm. do. That's how you're going to be happy because then you're going to get a job and then you're going to like have a good education and then you'll be happy because you'll make money and you'll have a life. And I'm like, OK, so I did this and then I went to school and I learned the thing I really liked and I enjoyed that. And then but like while that was happening. <laughs> You realize, I'm just like, what if this isn't the life that I want? Yeah. You know? And, like, when you, when you your whole life is predicated on this idea that this one thing will bring you happiness. And then when I got in and I got that little acceptance letter to the University of Michigan, I looked at it and I was just like, I felt nothing. <laughs> I felt, like, proud of myself, but not really. You know? Like, because, like, why did it matter? It didn't matter to me. It mattered to them. And then I didn't even end up going. I went to GW because I was like, I want to study international relations. I want to get out of here. I don't want to go to something that's essentially a, a giant version of my high school. Yeah. And thank God I did. <laughs> because if I didn't go to DC, I would have never met Danny. And Danny would have never introduced me to Samantha. And I would not have the life I have right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why it frustrates me. Sometimes my mom says things like, we should have never sent you to DC. You were gone too long. Because I recently went through some stuff. And I had to talk to my mentors about what my next steps were going to be. And then I took all the steps to, like, make myself better. But I think that what happened was that this traumatic situation, my mom was like, this means that you can't handle the real world. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not what that means. I did everything I needed to do. And now I'm doing amazing. And I think that, like, my mom doesn't realize that, like, a lot of Indian culture raises you to be primed to, like, put yourself in abusive situations because they're like life is about like suffering and putting your nose to the grindstone Mm. and it's not about pleasure and it's not about happiness it's not about like you know love it's not about any of those things it's about hard work exactly and that's why i think that it's so problematic that sexuality and like romance is already so taboo right romance is taboo mostly dealing with pleasure exactly because they the reason why romance is they don't see it as happiness if they see someone kissing they see it as a sexual thing whereas like what they refuse to understand is that love is something that everyone deserves yeah. and everyone should have access to and shouldn't be shamed for. Yeah. I think a huge problem with that, too, is, like, the issue of arranged marriages because they're yes. never able to comfortably do that. So maybe yeah. that's why. Hardcore, because they're like, if I could <laughs> if I could force myself to fall in love with this person, why yeah. can't you? You grew up in a really toxic society that like outlawed talking about romance and like sexualized love to the point so that they could control you and make you marry whoever they want for power, money, riches, and relationships yeah. because that's that system. <laughs> and you realize, hey, I don't want to just get arranged marriage to my cousin. This sucks. <laughs> it's hilarious for me now as a person, because I'm in therapy right now. Obviously, I've been through a lot of therapy. <laughs> yeah. But, like, as a person who, like, now fully realizes that I have a lot of childhood trauma, they get so offended when you try to imply that, like, something that they did may have, or something that they were involved yeah. in. Or they're like, no, that never happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or that you were even traumatized by someone else on their watch. <laughs> yeah. They do not, like, admitting, because they're like, my mom's like, yeah, it's a bad thing, but, like, not all this is trauma. You say all this is trauma, mm-hmm. and I'm like, the, the reason why that's funny is because I'm like, I see your triggers. Because <laughs> yeah. you don't think that when you randomly just get angry at things, like you don't think that's not your brain going back to a state where you're feeling that emotional and that intense because you've been triggered by something. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that since I know that, I'm able to be like, oh, this comes from here. This is why, this is how I calm myself. But since they don't admit, this is this is the whole, <laughs> the, the thesis of this entire podcast episode yeah. about the problem with Indian culture being that silence kills is is that when you don't talk about it and you pretend that it doesn't exist it festers and explodes and can destroy so many aspects of your life yeah 
And my mom is sitting here being like, why am I 59 and having panic attacks and anxiety every day? I can't go to sleep because I'm terrified about my daughter. And I'm like, oh, I'm sleeping in the room above you. <laughs> You're not worried about me anymore. This anxiety is part of you. It lives in your body. Trauma lives in your body. If mm -hmm. something like you were traumatized by me being traumatized, which makes sense because mm. you're my mom, right? Like if so if yeah. you're you're being traumatized, your mom like experiences that she's gonna it's gonna affect her too. Yeah. But the problem is is that you don't admit that you're traumatized yeah. by it. Then she's not I don't know, you kids have been making me anxious. <laughs> and I'm just like, Okay, but I'm we're here now. We're fine, but you still aren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I think that so many Indian parents refuse to acknowledge things because they have been taught that in order to survive, you shove things down. And doing anything less than that, addressing anything, is being over dramatic and over emotional. But I often find that usually, and tell me if you feel like this, but mm. when I am in a very wise mind state, I talk in a very careful and exacting manner. <laughs> and the people who get pissed off are my parents. And then I'm then I'm like, who's getting triggered? <laughs> who's the emotional one? I think that like even my therapist, she's Indian. And she was, like, talking about how she was the only person in her entire, like, master's program, whatever, who was Indian in a mental health field. Yeah. And one thing was that, like, as an Indian person, you recognize that all these people around you have mental illness, like your family. Yes. But no one ever recognized. They're never diagnosed no and one they don't yeah. recognize it. Exactly. Um, then they tell you that you're the only one who has a problem and you feel yeah. like the black. You're it's like, actually a classic <laughs> dynamic called the black sheep dynamic <laughs> in family systems therapy, which I'm sure you know as a person who is going to be a psychologist. But yeah. So she was just talking about how they had an assignment where they had to do a family tree of like all the mental illnesses in their family and like see blah, blah, blah. She was like, I couldn't do that. I, <laughs> me and the only other black person in the entire, like, they were the only two people of color in the room, they couldn't do that. Because in a lot of cultures, especially people of color, it's really, like, we just don't talk about it. And that's another issue with, like, the research I'm doing, which is intimate partner violence. You don't even recognize it as abuse. So, like, no. how will you go to seek help? Like, yeah. again, my mom has spent her entire life sacrificing, self-sacrificing, and yeah. putting herself through hell to take care of those that she loves. Yeah. That is an admirable quality to an extent. But if your kids see that happening, Shruti is overworked as hell. Mm -hmm. I was in a codependent relationship for some time and also allowed myself to be like abused in the workplace and like taken advantage of because, and for my whole life, my mom's like, why do you trust people so much? So I'm like, because I do things for people. Service is the way that you've taught me to yeah. show my love. Yeah. But you'll never be like, but I never said that explicitly. I'm like, it's not about what you say explicitly. It's about, and, and, and then she's like, but it's just our culture. We've been saying this for millennia. It's been working. I'm like, how can you tell me that a culture that created a country with one of the highest suicide rates in the world is good at mental health? <laughs> can you just uh, take some time? Break it down. Break it down. <laughs> yeah. Because something ain't adding up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah. And like, again, going back to the first episode is like all mental health, and like just having peace of mind and things like that were really important yeah before colonization they were and, and it was like, part of hindu culture and like part of yeah the, the like and now white people are stealing our shit doing yoga i'm so annoyed don't even get like me started <laughs> on like 11 dollar golden lattes i'm about to <laughs> scream at someone about it and doesn't actually align with any of the things that our society tells us to because we invented the kama sutra yeah. like we are you want to talk about like sexual pleasure hinduism is where it's at you yeah. know so it's just like realizing that my culture and my people have always been queer and like, you know, the way that we are and, yeah. and, and artistic. And it wasn't and weird. Like, no. it wasn't something you needed to be like out and proud. It was just like a normal thing in society and yeah. you didn't need to tell everyone. Like, it was just like, oh, you're gay. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> like, exactly. Whereas, cares? whereas yeah. it's like now you have to hush it up. You yeah. actively have to like prevent. But here's like, that's the thing. It's like or you have you to have prevent to yourself. you scared about like dang like how's this person gonna react when i tell them that i'm gay yeah. how's this person gonna react when like i tell them that i'm bi or like you know what i mean exactly and it's this like yeah it's this like yeah <laughs> uh, this this insane like inability to talk that and this like silence yeah. that is so deadly and i was gonna say this one more thing that i was thinking about when you when you mentioned the whole like the fact that like we don't talk about like mental health and mm -hmm. like everyone like my family They've gone through different struggles and mm -hmm. different stuff with mental illness. And obviously, like, and they don't talk about that. But then you'll have people like my parents who go, how come you, you have all these problems with your cousins never have any of these? I'm like, all of them do. do. They just don't tell you. Like, I don't believe that. 
<laughs> and I'm just like, I can't. Yeah. And it's it gets to the point where I'm just like, here's what I genuinely think. I genuinely think that shoving everything down is like definitely 100% a survival tactic. Like it is how they have had to survive yeah. because. Because you, you're you not allowed to. People are going to shut you down and be like, you're overreacting. Exactly. And that's why now when I get triggered by like police sirens mm. or like flashing lights, I'm like, I'm shoving it down and I'm like. Be like, shut up! Don't cry about this. It's not triggering to you. You're being overdramatic. Yeah, exactly. And then when you don't let yourself feel the feelings that yeah. exist in the moment, they can. they last longer. <laughs> and then they make you feel. And then and then you go into fight or flight for longer. And then your cortisol levels are increased, and you're unable to like function. Calm down. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just like a, a never ending cycle of trauma and abuse, and the fact that not talking about trauma leads to more trauma <laughs> and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Like but, my yeah. dad admitted he has not cried in over 20 years yeah that's like and again and you're like just not a flex like sorry i was gonna i was gonna say something and i totally blanked on what i was gonna say it was something about like something to do with mental health or whatever (laughs) but 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 for like bringing it back to being queer and south asian i think that there's i think that there's a lot of problems with like the fact that sexuality in and of itself is considered taboo Mm -hmm. like love and expressing like material love and emotions in general is kind of taboo in our culture and since being queer is so much about love and expressing emotions and expressing yourself and being different I think that they kind of have this created culture with like the natural expression of our queerness like has this fundamental you know like it's going to be an impasse and at some point in your life it's going to cause some problems the last piece of advice remember who you're doing everything for yeah you're doing this for you at the end of the day all we have is our own lives and the only people that we need to make sure are happy are our future selves how did it feel like how did you decide to be so open on social media like how did it feel because this podcast for example like all of the people i brought on have been south asian queers and none of them have felt comfortable really? saying who they were because of the culture of the people who are going to, like, if their parents stumble upon it, if their family members stumble upon it, if their yeah. people in our community, even our age, stumble upon it. Bear in mind, I've been out as a queer person since I was 15. Yeah. So my experience being out as a South Asian queer person is, is long, long compared yeah. to a lot of other, which is interesting. Because a lot of the time, I when I was growing up, I <laughs> thought that I came out really late coming out mm-hmm. at 15 because white queers come out at like what 10 11 <laughs> yeah and I'm like, oh i kissed a girl and now i know i'm gay i'm like how how did she figure it out like wait um but i came out at 15 which was early for it's early for south asians mm-hmm. it's early for south asian queer people so i think i just have a lot of experience of being uncomfortably in the closet but social media i wasn't open on social media for a very long time because specifically because my mother asked me not to be specifically because my mother said, I do not want the Indian aunties and uncles. They don't need to know that you're bisexual. Why do they need to know who you marry? It's not like their their business. business. And you know already how I feel about this. Yeah. <laughs> you already know that I think that we need to be visible and the more visible we are, the better. And it was, you saw that post of me with my disgusting bisexual whale shirt, which is, <laughs> I still need to like, I'm going to give it to one of my friends. No, <laughs> but, keep it. I know, it's a journey. It's part of my journey. It is. But, uh, it's an essential part of all of our journeys. It is an essential part <laughs> of my little bike. My Shruti bought that for me, actually. <laughs> and fun really fact, Shruti bought that for me specifically after my mom told her not to buy it for me. She bought it for me like, a, like for my 17th birthday or 18th birthday yeah. or something. And my mom was like, no, why does she need to know that she's bisexual? Like, why do people need to know that? Yeah. And I was so excited about the shirt that my my mom like finally was just like no that's that okay, was sweet good. Yeah. but again another way my sister like was very supportive mm-hmm. because my sister like again is like not homophobic and is kind yeah. <laughs> and loves me but so it's like that that i was when i saw tan france and he mm-hmm. specifically talked about being queer and south asian mm-hmm. and i kind of felt really proud that like he was talking about being south asian in this way that like i never experienced it before and after that I was like I'm tired of running because I was running for my South Asian-ness in an attempt to get into connection with my queerness I think and I was tired of running from both of those things and so finally I was just like listen I'm I'm bisexual and I'm proud of it in my day-to-day life because I was really open in college but it wasn't until like I think that I realized I was a lesbian and I started dating Samantha and I realized like how absolutely how much I missed out on by not getting to like feel comfortable like 
falling in love, mm -hmm. showcasing my like happiness, my partner, because there's so much about my relationship with Samantha. Like you see, like she's a content creator, so we have a very aesthetic life. Yeah. She's she's a fashion person. We do like home redesign, but I've always been into that kind of stuff. So perfect partner for me. But like our life is aesthetic because we make it so. It's not like a fake thing. It's not made up for social media. We really do put all that time and effort into making really cute lattes in the morning for each other or like tea in our teapots because we've kind of gone to this point where we're just like, we love beauty, Oscar Wilde, right? There's no point in life if there's no beauty in this world. And we we love it. And I think that there's just such a soft, beautiful feminine beauty that I like this, this like beautiful, like queer, like woman beauty that, that that comes from from the fact that we live in a completely a space completely devoid of male energy mm -hmm. and we exist and we occupy a space where we get to be different and creative and and open with each other and see each other as individuals without this like massive oppressive force that is patriarchy just like sitting in our lives and specifically being queer like they Sorry, can you repeat the original question? <laughs> I always do this. No, what was you're the original fine. Question? It's like, how did you... Oh, wait, oh, be so open, sorry. So it wasn't... Yeah, so, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that, you're that, good. That's all meandering stuff. It was after I started dating Samantha. Yeah. It was immediately after I started dating Samantha. And honestly, after TikTok came about. Because okay. TikTok, when it started becoming popular in 2020 during the pandemic, I started to see a, a smattering, not a yeah. lot, but a smattering of a few queer South Asians on TikTok. Yeah. Talking about being queer and being South Asian. And I was like, there's all <laughs> and I found them. So honestly, weirdly, it was TikTok and I started being a little bit more open about my sexuality yeah. and how I was interested in women, how I was, I was like gay and like stuff <clears throat> on TikTok than yeah. I did on any other because no one who followed me on my other social media platforms initially followed me on TikTok before yeah. I, I now, before it's been three years. Mm -hmm. And then I, I met Samantha. Actually, I never think I realized this until this moment, but she's like, <laughs> her brand is, is lesbian princess for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's high femme lesbian Disney princess, right? Mm -hmm. She likes to be, she's the she's the Disney princess of West Hollywood, the lesbian yeah. Disney princess of West Hollywood, right? And that's what she's done since she was a kid. She's like, well, because I always loved princesses, but I never saw a princess who like ended up with another princess. I never saw someone who could be me. And then growing up, she had her aunt who she loves very much, but mm -hmm. was a very butch lesbian woman yeah. who was only dated other butch lesbian women. And like, she grew up being like, if like lesbians can't be like pink and pretty and feminine and like, like all this like like I'm scared that I'm gonna have to like be a certain way and after a while when she realized that it was the femininity that she was falling in love with she's just like I wanted to show other kids who are like girly and love princesses and like like you know vintage stuff that they can also be like they can also be lesbians and they can be like having lovely romantic relationships and they don't have to have a prince they can have a princess charming you know yeah and she's like it's really important to me that parents see that that this option is also okay for being a lesbian and that's when I was just like People need, I want to s people to see, because after I started dating Samantha, like my life changed. I was happier than I've ever been before. Yeah. Finally, I saw someone who understood me and sees me. We are really very much in love. We are each other's like soulmates. <laughs> and it's been two and a half years and we've had like monstrous fights about everything from dishes to like, you know, my parents. But we love each other so hard. And like, there's no one who understands my brain better than she does. And I think that that like passion about being able to find that person regardless of gender sexuality what you look like and what they look like became so important to me that I was just like no like I am this lesbian with this like hot girlfriend I'm in an interracial <laughs> relationship this is how I walk through the world like because I've unfortunately Samantha and I have been at the like receiving end of a lot of homophobia mm -hmm. and a lot of really gross lesbophobia yeah. that's my question of like I think a lot of people on this podcast yeah. and like myself included are so scared of being out and proud and like putting yeah. our names associated with this because it's like these things need to be talked about yes. but we feel unsafe to talk about them yeah. because not only is everyone homophobic but people specifically within our community people close to us have the power to hurt us it's Terrifying. So this is what I did. Mm -hmm. It was, it's really about finding community in each other because it's not just about finding like white queers and joining like your GSA. It's really about like 
I've joined a couple of like South Asian queer groups when I was in when I was in school and like I've met other South like Asian queer people and South Asian queer people like my best friend she's Japanese and, and bisexual and finding people at those intersections who also you you realize very quickly how many of you there are <laughs> yeah. once you start meeting people and I've created my I'm lucky enough that I've created myself this little family of a bunch of like queer people of color and it's not just like because of them, it's because of them and how happy I feel around them and how comfortable I feel around them, but also for them, you know, like I feel proud that I can be this happy in this way. And I'm like, listen, I stick out like a sore thumb anyways. I have always stuck out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. I can't help it. Yeah. Everyone from our childhood, like, or my childhood or in the community, everyone remembers me for a reason because I'm loud and annoying and <laughs> abrasive and I'm just out there. So I'm like, I'm going to be out there anyways. Mm -hmm. And I'm damn proud of being a lesbian. I am goddamn so proud of being a lesbian. Yeah. I am so proud of being a lesbian. I am so proud of my girlfriend. I am so happy in my relationship. And I quite honestly think it's fucked up that other people who are in straight relationships can showcase their love together and I can't showcase mine yeah. because because it's it's gay. So it kind of like I I'm I think in a lot of you can tell this a lot when a lot of like like my sisters like this, but a lot of Indian women are often really really intense feminists <laughs> as they should be, as yeah. we all should be. But they're really intense feminists because after a while you realize these oppressive structures do not serve you, <laughs> and then you get fucking pissed. Yeah. So I think that one of the biggest reasons why I started being so open on social media was because I was pissed. I was upset. I was like. Why, why don't you? And my mom was like, why do you have to be the one to do it? Because I'm like, because no if not me, then who? No one doing it. Yeah. If not me, then who? Yeah. And like now I can say I was one of the first people to like start posting on TikToks with my girlfriend, whatever. But like now there's, I know so many South Asian queer people. Yeah. And there's now South Asian like grants and queer people who are like, they help you get jobs. They're networking. Like you, you go around and you look for them. There's mutual aid groups and there's people who are willing to like create community and family with you. And I just like kind of, love being a person to be like listen i know that we were raised in a kind of a fucked up way but there's other people who have dealt with it and are healing and are doing so much better and like specifically knowing that like i am 50 million times happier now as an out and proud lesbian on social media with like yeah my aunts and uncles are not super happy with the fact that i'm super open about being you know i don't get to talk about samantha in front of everyone sometimes because sometimes they don't like it or i have to wash myself and yes that shit fucking hurts like a knife in my throat every single time but with every single moment that i am honest about it and i push myself out there there's always that chance that someone like you <laughs> someone's gonna see it and feel less alone i think the divide and conquer strategy is very useful for a lot of groups in power but if you want to keep the oppressive regimes that are making your life horrible you know keep them up stay silent yeah yeah 